Passions, analysis, hot takes. Welcome to Political Football. And now, your hosts, Cleve, Dave, and Maddie Political football. Welcome back, everybody. This is your first August installment of Political Football. Uh, it's been a bit. Uh, the Maddie S Media family has been busy. Cleve is always busy. I'm always busy. But thankfully, the three of us had a little bit of time to carve out for you. So, gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Yo, it feels great. It feels so good uh, to be back. I'm uh, glad to be talking some football with you guys. Cleve, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Going good. It's starting to feel like football a little bit. Because isn't Hard Knocks tonight? I don't even know. Is it Tuesday? Yeah. Hard, Knocks yeah, Hard, Knocks. Does, Hard Knocks does debut tonight so we can get an in-depth breakdown of that wonderful Hall of Fame game we had. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Mason, go, go Mason Rudolph. <laughs> For the listener's uh, benefit, that is called sarcasm uh, on Dave's part, <laughs> and I think that's wonderful. So uh, to catch everybody up, Dave, like a coiled viper has a laundry list of things that he wanted to get into. But before we get into that, before Dave comes on and starts his topic, I wanted to play something that I've been saving up for a while. I'm calling it right now on tape. He will never play for the Green Bay Packers <laughs> ever again. So Dave, nice. what do you want to talk about this week? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I am, I'm a little shocked that he is back. He is back with the Packers, but they did concede to his demands and he's going to play there for one more season. And, you know what? Uh, good for him. I'm happy. I'm happy to be wrong. It's, uh, you know, you can't ever get anything right if you can't ever get anything wrong, right? You, uh, if you don't get your bluff called, you're not bluffing enough. So, I'm okay to be wrong with that. At least I didn't call him a fraud. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> not yet, um, anyway. Uh, no, I didn't. But when we get into our uh, division previews, the Packers will not be the team I'm predicting to win the division, even with Aaron Rodgers back. So little little teaser there for the for the audience now uh for this week see cleve you said it started to feel like football for me football never ends because as soon as the season ends we get right into draft right into dynasty rookie drafts and then best ball and now we're into redraft for fantasy and then of course we're betting all the futures and whatever so for me it never stops and so i wanted to catch you guys up on a little bit since you guys have been so busy on some of the camp information that you may have missed that the listeners may have missed as well um Starting with some of the best camp performers so far in Cleve, there's good news in here for you eventually. Uh, the first is Kyle Pitts, the rookie tight end for the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know if you guys have seen any of the highlights floating around uh, Twitter, but this dude is just mossing dudes left and right, and he is running away from dudes. You know, I typically don't think a tight end should go, I don't know, in the top 20 picks of the NFL draft, but, like, I think this dude might be the real deal. Um the next would be C.D. Lamb, uh, second-year wide receiver for the Cowboys. Now, Justin Jefferson last year, as a rookie wide receiver for the Vikings, set the record for most receiving yards by a uh, rookie player, which is pretty incredible. But I actually don't think that he had the most impressive uh, rookie year statistically, even though that is, of course, an amazing accomplishment. So this is not to take away from him. But last year, C.D. Lamb had 74 catches, 935 yards, and five touchdowns, and he only had four and a half games with Dak. He's putting up those numbers with the Andy Dalton and Ben DiNucci and all that, and he is only getting better this year. 
So, Cleve, if somebody has a thousand receiving yards with four games of Dak, what's he going to do with a full season of Dak? 1,500. Right. I mean, exactly. I like, we, I think that there's a really good chance that when like all these careers are over and we look back at the, the wide receiver draft class of 2020, which is going to be a really strong one, even though Jefferson broke the rookie record for receiving, I think CD Lamb might be the considered the best out of this group. I mean, a thousand yards from Andy Dalton, that's really yeah. good. Can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, one of the big assumptions for the Cowboys this year, and we'll probably get into this when we do the the divisional stuff, right? But one of the big assumptions is that Dak is going to come back and immediately play at the level that he played at prior to his injury last year. Is that an unfair assumption to make given the kind of injury that he had? I know he's looked good in camp and all that, but um, you know, it, it's a it's a lot to ask to come back and play at that kind of a level knowing the kind of injury that he had and the time that he's had off. So I think I think that for Dak, because he's such a good player, that even if he comes back and he plays at 80% of his best, that's still a top five offense in the NFL. Um, you know, and even if he doesn't run as much as he did before, but I don't think so. Do you think, cause he didn't have like a, a knee tear or anything like that. He just put his foot on backwards and I think it's com- completely healed. I think he's actually going to be perfectly fine. And within like the first couple weeks, like they open the season on Thursday night against Tampa and like, he'll probably look terrible. People are like, Oh, he's not over the injury or whatever, but like they're playing the bucks and then, He'll come out, they'll rip off, you know, 500 yard games, two out of the next three or something like that. So I'm not overly concerned about that, but I'm also not an expert on the injury. Cleve, what do you think? Um, I think uh, you hit on a point there with, uh, well, what you said that the that the pundits are saying, he may he may have to get out of his own head, take some a game or two to get out of his own head of his scrambling ability because he didn't hurt his arm, he didn't hurt his shoulder. So I'm pretty sure he's been throwing a football in some capacity during the time that he was down, you know, whether he was rehabbing or whatever. I'm pretty sure he was sitting in a, a lawn chair throwing footballs, you know? I would I would be doing that. But um I think um I think to Matt's point is that we're we're all ex- expecting him to come out, you know, in the first couple of games and put on what he did prior to the injury. And you know, as you guys all know, football speed and 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 that kind of thing, that's you know, he hasn't played in what I mean, I'm sorry, last time he was he was on a field was about you know 14 months ago, yeah, a week, week five last year, five. yeah, yeah. So it's been a long time, a lot has happened since all of that. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to see him back. Uh, hopefully, we have time to talk about uh, how his contract compares to um, the guy up in Buffalo and stuff <laughs> like that. But, um, it's just you know, kind of seeing what. What you I mean, you guys are always right, both of you. You you guys are the market is what the market calls for. Doesn't matter what we think of a guy, but this is what the market says. Yeah, oh, I've works. got yeah. I've got I've got Josh Allen uh contract stuff uh <laughs> all right uh coming up here. <laughs> I'll, save, I'll save for later then because I had I had a, a fun point to make about this that related to Baker. So we'll wait. Yeah, nice. and then uh we will also there's there is a quarterback coming back off of a bad injury that does appear tentative, and we'll be discussing him shortly. Um, sort of what you were saying, Cleve, about, you know, getting getting back into into the flow of things. Uh, now, the next two players I want to talk about are two rookie quarterbacks. And I'm sorry, Cleve, but Zach Wilson is not one of them. Um, although, by all <laughs> accounts, Zach Wilson looks fine. Right. He looks fine. Like he's not like he doesn't look like Ryan Leaf out there. He looks OK. Um, but Trey Lance, like the first day training camp opened, Kyle Shanahan, the coach of the 49ers, said, 
Jimmy G's going to be the starter. I don't see any way that Trey Lance is starting uh, week one. And then the next day, Trey Lance got like 25% of the snaps with the starter. And then the third day, he got 50% of the snaps with the starter. Now, Trent Williams, all offensive tackle, said because of the way Trey Lance runs the ball and throws the ball, he is a generational talent. <laughs> the 49ers opened the season in Detroit. Just let Trey Lance go out there. Like, it's not going to get any easier. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just let Trey I, – I think Trey Lance should start uh, week one for them. And, you know, people forget because he's so big and, like, we didn't really get to see him play. He is in the Lamar Kyler rushing potential category. We're talking a possible 1,000-yard rusher from the quarterback position, not, like, 400 or 500 like, like Dak. Like, real rushing threat with a huge arm. Like maybe like a mega Josh Allen thing here. Just just let the kid play. Do you guys think um, when it comes to Jimmy G, is it the injury prone thing, or is it quarterback decision play? What happened in the Super Bowl like that he came up short? Like what do you think the knock is on this guy? I think it's a Go collective ahead, thing. To be honest with you, uh, obviously we talk a lot on this show Cleve and I about you know guys that are injured they're obviously not out in the field producing for you so if you have a guy like Jimmy G who has had a history of being hurt it does hinder their ability to trust him or rely on him to be out in the field obviously in order to produce you have to be on the field so there's that uh, I think we have seen a good enough sample from Jimmy G even though he has been hurt in which you know you could say that he cost them the Super Bowl in certain ways missing certain throws that might be unfair uh, but I think there's a lot of feelings, at least in the 49ers organization and around the league, that perhaps Jimmy G has come closer to his ceiling and Trey Lance's ceiling is a lot higher. So you're taking maybe a risk in starting him week one, but you know that the reward on the other end of that is going to be very, very high because you've seen what you know we see on Trey Lance. I think that's a combination for Jimmy G, and I don't necessarily think that he's washed, but I think we may already kind of know that he is not the cornerstone guy that you build around He's very serviceable, right? He could be a starter in the NFL for years, but is he the guy that's going to take you to, um, like, you know, dynasty level, which is what every team is looking to do? I think the answer is no, and I don't think that there's any real question about that. It's just a matter of how long are the 49ers willing to go out with that before they feel confident in putting out what they felt was a project in Trey Lance, but he has shown that his talent is superseding those hesitations. So I think the issue here, I think Matt is hitting the nail on the head, it's that Jimmy G is decidedly average and he isn't able to elevate the players around him. And we can do this by playing my favorite game. If we put Jimmy G as a starting quarterback on the Chiefs, even with Kelsey and Tyree Kill, are they the favorites to win the Super Bowl? If we put Jimmy G on the Buffalo Bills instead of Josh Allen, are they the, are they a favorites to win 12 games this year? If we put Jimmy G on the Cowboys instead of Dak, are we so excited about C.D. Lamb? Right? He doesn't He's not bad, but he's never going to elevate the players around him. And therefore, like the odds of winning a Super Bowl with Jimmy G as your quarterback are exceedingly low, even though I think it's possible. I think it's possible the Super Bowl, Derek Carr is your quarterback. It's just so hard to do when there are Mahomeses and Allens mm -hmm. and Lamars out there. And so that's why the 49ers are like, we have to go and try to get one of those guys. We can't take Jimmy G into a Lamar fight. It's not going to work. You know what's kind of crazy about the 49ers? It's like after the Super Bowl, like they cursed their quarterbacks. Cap had a decline right after the Super Bowl. 
Jimmy G looked like dog shit after the Super Bowl. It's like, what's going on over there? Is it the coaching? And to Matt's point, I wouldn't say that it's unfair, but he's the quarterback of the team. He's the quarterback. He's the, he's the field general. He's the guy out there. Super Bowl is, is winnable. They, they could have won that game. And he missed some key throws. I think, I think if the Trey Lance thing works out, he's auditioning. But I don't, I don't agree with, with, the, with the take that he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's a backup. I mean, yeah, and, and I only say that because if you look at when teams are going to need a starter, like, is he a guy that's better than some of the other people that they're going to start out there? You could make the argument that he that he could potentially be that. But I'm not saying that he is right now. Like, he shouldn't be because Trey Lance has obviously shown that he's got the talent, and they just need to roll with it and see what they have with it. They spend a lot of capital on it. And you might not think of draft capital as being, like, monetary, but it is capital. It's got a value to it, and they, they chose, right? They chose to do it, so... They should go with it and just see what they get. That's my opinion on it. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, the thing about it too is, um, you know, Jimmy G. I always look at Jimmy G. Now and I think to myself, man, he probably would have fit a lot better in the '90s. <laughs> when <laughs> no, and I only say that in that it wasn't the same kind of passing league and the talent around him, like the other quarterbacks, his contemporaries weren't nearly what they are today. Like when you look at Jimmy G compared to the guys that are owning this league right now, they do so many things so much better than Jimmy G and Jimmy G can't do a lot of the things that they can actually do. So, you know, he's just, I don't know. Like I, I think he is decidedly average. And as much as I want to like not take a dump on the guy, just looking at it from a professional level, like it's a business. And if the 49ers are in the business of making money by winning football games, they've got to do the right thing. If, if Trey Lance walks out there Let's say they, for some reason they start him the first four games of the season and he lights it up. I'm talking like Herbert style for the Chargers. Jimmy G can actually pack his bags because he's done. Jimmy G can pack his bags anyway. <laughs> um, it's it. This is only a question of when at this point. I mean, they traded up to three to go get Lance. He's looking great in camp. Like one day the coach is like, there's no way he starts week one. Then like the end of the week, he's taking all the snaps with the starters. I mean, that that writing's on the wall. If I'm Jimmy G. I'm actually already requesting to trade quietly and privately, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. And then the next the next quarterback on the list is Justin Fields, which oh man, this is annoying for me and for Cleve. It's annoying for Cleve because the Jets could take him at number two. It's annoying for me because the Lions could take him at number seven. And so there's this clip going around of Fields, and he rolls out to his left and he's right-handed he makes this sidearm throw 20 yards into the end zone between two defenders on a rope white right to a receiver off platform off balance all arm strength and this is supposed to be the reason like that skill is what separated zach wilson from everybody but trevor lawrence and then we see J justin fields come out here and do the exact same thing against nfl players and i'm like what was going on here like, yeah. how in the world is this guy not the second quarterback taken? And then, apparently, the reason he dropped is that there were questions about his professionalism. And I think, I don't know this, so I'm I'm uh, just sort of, I'm guessing here, but sort of like educated guessing, mm -hmm. that a lot of these comments stem back to when he left Georgia for Ohio State. And he basically left Georgia on really bad terms. And I think that Georgia's trash-talking him out the door. And they're still bitter about it. It's so a lot of these comments on how he's unprofessional. That's why he left. 
have to do with that. And I don't think that's actually the case. I don't think it's probably ever been true. And people now at Chicago are like, yeah, he's great. You know, like there's zero issues with him whatsoever. And I'm just like, well, great. We're going to lose Aaron Rodgers right in time to get Justin Fields in this division. And I'm very upset. I mean, to, to be fair, the bar wasn't set very high by Mitch Trubisky, despite the fact that he met, despite the fact that he met the culture. I mean, what are they going to say about Justin Fields? It's an obvious upgrade over Mitch Trubisky. So, like, he, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to throw shade at Mitch, at Mitchy boy. But, I mean, I mean, no, I would, you're 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 right. You know? Justin Fields could show up 20 minutes late to every practice with no pants, and he'd still be more professional than uh, the, or he'd be a better fit than Mitch Trubisky was, even if he's less less professional. But it's just like all this, you know. It's just a reminder that, like, people who are in charge of things are just in charge of them because, like, nobody should have ever bought any of this unprofessional bullshit about Justin Fields in the first place. And he fell to 11th in the draft, and I feel like everybody's really going to be mad that they that they passed on him, and it should have been obvious at the time that they should have taken him. Yeah. I mean, but the media is always looking for some angle or a story. Like, saying that he's unprofessional allows us to question whether he's going to be good or not, and it allows the bears to sort of feel secure in the fact that hey we know what we're seeing like we're good to go and it's just like this this time of year always frustrates me because we overreact to everything like zach wilson has a scrimmage and he doesn't look very good and it's like well who cares like he just signed his contract he just got there let's see what he does in a regular season game before we overreact and it's like mike greenberg is the worst one of this it's like tom brady takes a piss after the first throw in practice what does it mean find out next and i'm just not into that shit <laughs> so so i'm 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 actually with you and i don't want to sound hypocritical but that's why i only focus on the extreme ends of these sorts of things right like yeah. anybody can have a bad day at practice but I like when you see like when you see Justin Fields roll out to his left, crossbody, sidearm between two defenders, twenty yards into the end zone. Mitch Trubisky can't do that, right? You're already seeing him do something that a lot of these other players couldn't do, and so to me, it stands out. Now, can he do it consistently at the NFL level in a real game situation? That remains to be seen. But I know for a fact that Jared Goff can't do that. Well, it's <laughs> like when when you see a guy do what is advertised to do right yeah when when we're because in the draft you're buying into what these players are going to do for you sure you're looking at them for what they've done but just like when you're promoting or trying to look at somebody to promote you're looking for what they're going to do for you based off of what they've done so when you see justin fields do that you're like okay this is as advertised this is exciting this is something that can translate to a game but seeing somebody throw a pick like you know i i think i got on Tua for throwing what five picks in a practice or some shit like that and i only queued that up because i know cleve loves to take a dump on Tua. but how much <laughs> how much does that really mean when we get to the regular season we don't really know but the extremes of that are okay let's see what we have in justin fields that's a great looking player or like you said you know guys when somebody's mossing somebody like that's why they took him that high right that's right. why they that's why they spent the capital on him so you want to see that as a fan because that's what you picked him for. If the guy's not mossing anybody and he's getting beat out by five foot eight cornerbacks, that's a story too. Oh man, Kevin White. Anyways, um, uh, isn't that guy, isn't um, that guy black too? Like that's such a weird ass <laughs> name. Or that what you know? You know what? You know what? Receiver always got me. Harry Douglas. I was like that. Yeah, yeah I, that yeah. one always got me. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like the an NFL wide receiver. It sounds like my neighbor. Yeah, but the thing is, the thing is, is that Harold Douglas is at least like an old black man name. So at least he's named for his grandfather or something. Kevin is not. (laughs) No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Like like there were there were no Kevins fleeing with Harriet. You know what I mean? There were some Harold. (laughs) There were no Kevins. 
So like, yeah, naming the kid, yeah, that's that's a little weird. Also, he went to school at West Virginia, so of course he was overrated. Um, <laughs> oh shit. Um, I disagree. Yeah, uh, trash ass school. Anyways, wow. We're, uh, now yeah, we're, we're definitely back. We're definitely. Back. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I've had my West Virginia rant on here, haven't I? Oh about no, the fact no, that no. I got batteries thrown at me. So like, fuck them. <laughs> Uh, I think I think we should I think we should have a, a, a political football road trip to Morgantown for some Thursday night game and just go in full road team gear. Oh man! Just so Oof. we can report back what uh, what it's like. Um, All right. Anyways, last last positive camp performance I want to talk about here is a little bit camp porn for Cleve, and this is Elijah Moore, the second round wide wide receiver that the Jets took. Every day, this guy is drawing rave reviews from everybody, coaches, Zach Wilson. And the reason is that he showed up being able to play all three wide receiver positions, X, Y, and slot. That is so huge for them because they drafted him to be in the slot, which meant they were probably able to get rid of Jamison Crowder. They were mm-hmm. able to resign Crowder because they could put him and more on the field at the same time. So yeah. the offense just gets way better just, just from that. But when Elijah Moore was a true freshman, he had to play in the same receiving core as DK Metcalf and AJ Brown at Ole Miss. And he put up numbers, like not like world shattering numbers, but at 18, he was put up, you know, 30 catches, 500 yards, five touchdowns with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown on the field as well. So this kid is clearly a baller. And the fact that he can play all the positions already, I mean, just an absolute home run pick for for the Jets in the second round here, which is really encouraging because Mackay Becton, the first round pick at left tackle last year, was a home run pick as well. So if Moore can translate into games the way he he's doing here in camp, that's back to back years with like the uh, you know top high pick, really really hitting for the Jets and like the Jets have a reputation for a reason. So you know. Yeah, you get Revis, you know, once every 15 years. The rest of the time, it's Blair Thomas getting a couple in a row here. Is... He just he just fumbled. He just he fucking did. fumbled. He, he did. He just fumbled his car keys in the middle of the freeway. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. So, Elijah Moore, uh, obviously, for fantasy purposes, you can still get Elijah Moore going right now in best ball in like the ninth round. I guarantee you in your home leagues for the listeners here, when you're playing with your buddies, they don't know yet. You can wait and get Elijah Moore probably in the tenth, early eleventh round. You will be starting him by the end of the season. I he was the real deal in college. He could get targets over DK Metcalf, and now he's competing with Braxton Berrios and Denzel Mims. So, hmm. Cleve, genuine question: Is it refreshing to know that Adam Gase had nothing to do with this draft class? Yeah, I think so. But still, we had we had Woody Johnson have to get to sign off. So. That doesn't. That makes me. That makes me a little like whatever. You know. Well, well. Little do we know that Elijah Moore actually has Russian citizenship, so that's why Woody Johnson was okay signing off on it. <laughs> but I only asked because last year we got a lot of mileage out of Adam Gase. Adam Gase's inability to coach, and it was entertaining. And this year, I feel like even if the Jets aren't very good, we're not going to have as much entertainment value because Adam Gase is nowhere near it. And I don't even know where he is. And I wish he had some job somewhere so that we could still hone in on him at some point. Cause we're losing a huge cash cow here in forms of content. He's going to be, <laughs> Dave Gettleman's going to be hired as like the GM of the Bengals next year and hire Adam Gase to be head coach. And we're just going to become Bengals fans or something like, you know, just, we just have to wait a little bit. Patricia will be back. Gase will be back. 
Uh, the only people not coming back at this point are like Rich Kotite. But the rest oh, will be back. Richie Kotite. <laughs> That's so Ooh. great. What, I love that reference every time. Like if somebody asked me, how would you describe 90s football? And I'm like, Rich Kotite. In a starter jacket with the That's rims right. on. Bro. Yes. <laughs> No, ni- <laughs> 90s football is the Cleveland Browns firing Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Oh, yes. Oh, 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 I forgot about that. <laughs> well done, guys. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> yeah. So, so now we have we have some of the the underperformers uh, in camp, or you know, unpor- sometimes it's underperforming, sometimes it's just bad luck. And this is starting with uh, Cleve's favorite player, Carson Wentz, who's mm. hurt. He hurt his foot somehow. I still haven't seen like what the actual injury is, although I've heard some people saying Liz Frank, but I don't think that's right based on the timeline. The timeline though for him to come back at this point is four to eleven weeks. I've never I've never heard of an injury like 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 that span. That's the season. Okay. That's okay. the season. So uh well not from here. If it's only four weeks from here, it's like week two. No, no, no. It's more it's more on the four he's gonna be out, but possible possible mm-hmm. eleven on the back end. I, so I see what you're saying. Yeah, which is for you guys, that's the meat of the season. That's that's seeding. That's you know, yes, playoff stuff. So he's, yeah, the he's Colts, gonna miss the Colts that. are in trouble. Uh, Cleve, since Carson Wentz is going to be out probably at least week one and maybe through like week ten, can you tell me the two other quarterbacks on the roster for the Colts right now competing for the number one spot? Is it is it Brissett still there? He is not. Jacoby's out. Really? I believe he's in Miami. Wow. I know that there were rumblings of possible getting Nick Foles to come in. There, there <laughs> I, are. I, I'm but... very serious. I'm very serious, Dave. They, I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine that scenario? I, I could actually imagine that scenario because the two people currently competing for the job are Jacob Easton and Sam Ellinger. Wow. Let's also Jacob. not forget Brett Hundley is also your four-string quarterback for the Colts. Let's, 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 let's keep – let's smoke that, will we? <laughs> Man, Man. I, no, Brett, Brett Hundley should be a third string quarterback in the XFL. Um, I can't believe that he's still he's still hanging around on a roster somewhere. Um, but yeah, so Jacob Eason was a all five star everything high school prospect out of the Seattle area, goes to Georgia, realizes he moved from Seattle to Georgia, bombs, goes back to Washington, is okay, and then gets drafted because he's like six foot five with a rocket arm, but Never really did anything. Sam Ellinger went to Texas, and he's like, if Tim Tebow was good, huge and runny and decent arm, but not great, but basically the same thing all over again. Uh, and then on top of that for the Colts, uh, Quentin Nelson, the best guard in football, has the same injury as Carson Wentz, is out yep. for the same like crazy window. So like they want to be this running team. They no longer have a threat to throw the ball. The best offensive lineman is gone. I actually bet the Jags to win the division when this news came out. You guys think that, and this is, well, you know I'm going to go with this. Do you think we label him a bust yet in the RG3 kind of category? Not yet, but it's in the it's in the range of outcomes for sure. It, okay. it, it could be worse than RG3, honestly. RG3's best season is better than Carson Wentz's best season. Wow. Yes. I would, I would totally. I mean, I, I would actually agree with that just because, I mean, think about it this way. Carson Wentz didn't even get to finish the season during his best season, right? Yeah. RG th- RG3 at least got through the whole season, and I'm not trying to get on that train, but do we have the flexibility to go over 
the schedule for the Colts really quick. Because I think if yeah. he's out for that 11-week window, he misses maybe six games. And I, I just want to go through the schedule for those first six games. Let's say it is six games. I want to go over yeah. whether how many games we think they would win even if Carson Wentz was playing. Sure. Right, let's see okay. think about this way. Week one, Seattle at home. <laughs> that's a loss. That's a with loss. Or with, yep. with or without, right? That, yeah, yes. that's a loss. <laughs> week two, Rams at home. That's probably a loss. Okay. Week three at Tennessee. That's a with, loss. With, with Wentz, it's a win. Okay. Uh, week four at Miami. It's a loss, even with them. Week five at Baltimore. That that's is a loss. loss by, that's a loss <laughs> by 45 points. And the one truly winnable game, in my opinion, that isn't really up for dispute is against Houston in week six, assuming that Deshaun Watson doesn't play. That's a win, even if I'm quarterback. So, right. well, uh... but but you see what I mean here. So now, what e- even with Carson Wentz, we're looking at a gauntlet schedule. And by the way, after that, they're at San Francisco and they get Tennessee again. They don't play another bad team. No offense, Cleve, until Week Nine against the Jets. Yeah, th- th- this is this is a huge ask, even with Carson Wentz there. And if he's gone, their season is done, like totally done. I I can't see. Eason or Ellinger even winning two of those games, let alone three. Because if they go three and three, they have a shot, right? And you think if okay, if Wentz comes back and he's he's what they think he is going to be, they could have a chance. But they have a tough schedule regardless. I mean, they play at Buffalo, they play Tampa, they play New England, they play Arizona. I mean, this is a tough schedule, a really tough schedule, regardless of whether Wentz is in or out. You know How many games? They could, sorry, Cleve, they could actually open 0-6 if they don't have Wentz and they can't run the ball effectively. I said that, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, Houston is terrible. They're the worst team in the league. But they're also probably not going to 0-17. And if you're looking, like, where they're going to get their win at home against Jacob Eason. And, like, they've been together for six weeks. And Tyrod Taylor's been there. And he's sort of leading the charge and and whatever. And they sort of buck up for this one game because they know it's their best chance. I could actually... I, they could be 0-6 to start of the year. Yeah, so I, I appreciate going through that because I think it adds a little bit of context to what this injury means for that team because you think, all right, 4 through 11 weeks, like, that's okay. But it's one thing if the schedule is front-loaded, it, it, you know, like in terms of ease, but it's it's not. I mean, they get a gauntlet. Just thinking that they got to play Seattle, L.A., Tennessee, and Miami and Baltimore, like, first five weeks, that's a tough ass for any team out there. Yeah, I mean Aaron Donald coming at you, and you're, you're Jacob Beeson is going guys. to shit his pants when he sees Aaron Donald coming at him for the whole game. He's going to be like, "Sam, you take it in the second half. I'm not doing this." And the thing is, like people, people are going to think about the Rams coming to Indy and be like, "Oh, it's a West Coast team coming east." Yeah, but their quarterback is come back to Midwest to play in a dome. I don't think Stafford's going to be uh, a little too a little too bothered by that so yeah so i think we're in agreement that the colts are in trouble and i should probably just sell my colts to win the division ticket um, do, you, do you do you guys think that they have protections in that contract against this scenario because because I mean, because like, to your points if they go over the spread if they go oh and six oh and four like their season is in jeopardy at that point because that division is loaded so counter argument that division is trash but no, well, meaning but, well, but, but, the but they're all trash together, yes, right? Okay. Like they're, it's 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 a balanced division of trash. Okay, fair right. enough. Houston's not good. Jacksonville's not good. The Colts aren't going to be good with this situation. Well, well we're and assuming that Deshaun Jackson. Um, we're assuming that Watson is not playing. We're assuming because he he is he's he's the winnable factor in Houston. Deshaun Watson 
is not going to play for Houston again. And that's not my take this time. That's actually no. being reported by the Houston people. That's not, that's not me saying that it's the Houston people uh, uh, saying that. So between the fact that Houston doesn't want him to play and he's got like 430 charges coming down the pike, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's very uh, – and even if he did play, he would be the only player on Madden on the team above like an 84. Well, I was wow. going to say, Cleve, remember last year, he couldn't will that team to more than five wins, and he played uh, his yeah. heart out last year. So yeah. it, it, even if he did play, that's a huge ask. That team isn't any better. They could be worse than they were last year, and that wasn't a good team last year at all. Yeah. All right, so point, we have – oh, go ahead, Cleve. No, no, point taken. You guys, good points. Good points. So we have uh, Joe Burrow coming back from his knee injury. And reports are that he is extremely tentative on his knee, missing throws that he made easily last year, really, really, really being afraid to take a hit, even though he's got the red jersey on. And so this is the actual situation we were wondering about with Dak, but it really seems to be to be true here. No, I've been fortunate enough to not be in a situation where I've ever had an injury so severe that I had to be worried about like re-injury or the pain was so great or something like that. But do either of you have experience? with a really bad injury like this, having to come back and just like perform with it in the back of your mind that you could get hurt again. And in, in, wow. in, P, in PAL, when I was a kid, uh, when I was knocked down for the first time, not knocked out, I realized that taking, being a tough guy, perceived tough guy, taking a shot straight on the chin, you will go down, That that's it. So I, I, I was a little gun shy to say the least. A little bit, which is not like I said, not in the realm of what these guys are doing. But mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, man, I don't want to, I don't want to have, have that happen again, you know. Well, Cleve, you and I both have had heart attacks, so yeah. Anytime we do anything physical, I, I think about it myself. Uh, I think about it when I accidentally hit you in the chest, and I think to myself, man, I mean, I, I we both have been there at different points in our lifetime, and I did all of my athletic endeavors after that moment. But sure, Dave, I mean, being out there running a marathon thinking my heart could just friggin' stop during this and well, at least I'll be, you know, doing something that I like. But yeah, I mean, that's this close to an injury. It's not an injury per se, but mm -hmm. I, I nearly died. I mean, that's the doctors right. told me that I got lucky that I should have died and I didn't. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think about it a lot and I'm happy that I'm able to do what I do, but I, I can't tell you if it'll ever happen again. So I feel for the guy. Plus, I also don't have uh, 300 pound lineman charging at me at full speed trying to kill me every play so i can understand right. joe burrow's hesitancy i'm blissfully running alone by myself i think yeah. it changes changes the way he's gonna play uh that fearlessness that we saw last season that's probably out the window for sure but do you think it's out the window forever or do you think the first time he just takes an awful blindside shot and he bounces right back up he'll be like oh this I, I yeah I get hit all the time and I'm usually fine I could just keep doing this or do you think that like like it's actually in his brain like forever do we just have no way of knowing that until we see him play I think we got to see him play we were all in a moment last year when um when uh, uh what's then came back for the Washington football team and we we're like man like this this guy's actually out here to play a football game oh and yeah we, Alex Smith yeah Alex yeah Smith. And, and and we looked at that like whoa. So yeah, I um I just see like I just see that it's gonna take him a little bit to get out of his own head, but it is it, it, it it's occupational hazard. It comes with what they do. I would say that this is probably and this is a hypothesis, so it, it could be wrong. That this is probably the first time in Joe Burrow's life that he's had something like this happen to where he is not 
fully 100% or he has not been able to go out there and do something with ease. And so yeah. if you add the that, that that mental health stuff that we constantly are talking about now, I think it is is meaningful in this situation. And Cleve, I think you and I talked about it. We might have even talked about it on the show that when Joe Burrow got hurt, we tried to hypothesize when he would be back and what the risk and reward would be bringing him back. And now yeah. if you're looking at him in camp, this is not live fire. This is camp. He's got a red jersey on and he's not really supposed to be getting hit and he's that gun shy, then you might have to think about what it's going to take to bring him back. It might only be this year, or he might have the yips because this is a huge thing. He's probably never had to deal with the fact that he's been incapable of doing what he's wanted to do his whole life. And this is a national champion. This is a number one pick. And he's probably struggling with that a little bit. I'm sure he is because, hey, he goes out there, has a great rookie campaign, he gets hurt. And in the back of his mind, he's probably thinking, they really haven't done a whole lot to keep me any safer. So this could possibly happen again. I think with him getting hurt, and you guys could agree to disagree or disagree completely, he put the team on his back, being the number one pick and why you brought me in, and he played his brand of football. But I think with these college guys, especially quarterbacks, these college guys don't remember, like they, they, they don't, they're not used to everybody being All-American, you know? You might play some All-American guys in your conference or maybe the national championship, but every team, whether we, we agree that they're, these guys suck or not, these guys are NFL-level athletes. These guys, So he's, he's barreling down now. I'm like, wow, if that defensive end gets loose in his backfield, I got to scramble. Will my, will my knee hold up? Am I good enough to go here? The last uh, uh, poor camp performer I want to mention here, and again, this is just for Cleve, uh, last year's second-wound wide receiver, Denzel Mims, actually led the league in air yards um, at the receiver position was starting for the Jets. Now in camp, he is currently running in the sixth or seventh wide receiver position. So I don't know what happened there. I'm glad they drafted Elijah Moore. And as a Lions fan, I would happily trade a seventh round pick for Denzel Mims if the Jets want to get rid of him. So it's not all it's not all uh, sunshine and rainbows in uh, in Jets camp, please. Yeah, it, it's and it's kind of weird. The thing that the thing that I forget, and sometimes I can be like a casual fan. When I when I go league wide, is that when they when these guys got to make a roster, that these you know no one's guaranteed a spot. Well, no one's guaranteed a spot out, outside of the guys who are already locked in quarterback for the most part. You know for the most part. So yeah, it, it could happen where you know to Matt's favorite word, your your trade currency. Like you know what, what can we get for this guy? Because it, again, you that's a huge drop. Mm-hmm. You know one to six. Where you can't beat out the other five guys out here, you look like shit. He's running behind. He's running behind Jeff Smith, uh, in in Vincent I don't even Smith. Know. And I don't I'm even not know sure who that is. I'm not sure Jeff Smith is his name. I'm trying to remember it, but like, who cares? Um. So yeah, so that's that's the thing that's going on uh, with with Denzel Mims. I just wanted to mention that in case Cleve thought the Jets were going to go 13 and four this year or something. Jeff um, Smith has got to be white, right? Jeff Smith is white. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. I don't think a, so. This is a game we should play a little bit more often. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> because the thing is, but here's the thing. If his name is Jeffrey Smith, yes. If his name is Jefferson Smith, no. Well, right. But I, I guess I, when I hear Jeff, I just assume that it cuts off at Jeff. No. With that. If I, I need to hear the full name, I guess. But see, that's the fun part, though. I actually played, with, played this with my wife once. And when I said Pam Oliver, she's like, got to be white. And I was like, totally wrong. No, no. See, the thing is, the... 
the the surnames can be a huge can be a huge giveaway. We can play this game. This is a fun game. See, you know, I, I, love, I, I agree. Love the name. I do. Matt, I do. Matt, don't Matt, don't say anything. So, Dave, quick story. I have a friend or had a friend named Ty, right? So he had moved from the St. Louis area. Big Rams, Rams guy, right? During during the run of the Greatest Show on Turf, like he was hailing them. He uh, he was new to the area, New Jersey, where I was uh, working. So I said, "Hey, we're going out for you know to watch the games. We're going to like the local Hooters, or whatever. Do you want to come hang? Please come hang." He comes with us to hang out, right? His name is Ty. We sit down, we eat. Um, we all give our cards to the waitress, the hostess, to come back to pay us. She gives me his card, right? And you all, you guys know my name. She gives me his card, and I forgot who where where my card went. What do you think this guy's real name is? So my first guess, my first guesses would be Tyrone or Tyrell, but I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out my Game of Thrones here and go Tyrion. Tyrion, nah, you, your first guess was good. His name was Tyrone. Okay, but he's but he's Richie Cunningham White. Yes, <laughs> right. It gets better. It gets better, man. It gets better. So I go. This is not my card. She goes. Oh, you're not Tyrone. So everyone's looking like, well, maybe she got the wrong card. He goes, oh, that's mine. And we all erupt in laughter. And then we stop <laughs> at the same, in unison. Like, what, wait a minute, your name's Tyrone? I'm like, he's like, yeah. He's like, what do you think Ty's short for? I'm like, Tyler or whatever. He's like, no, it's Tyrone. Right. And then and then someone says, well, what's your dad's name? He's like, he goes, you won't guess. He goes, Leroy. I'm like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Both white guys. <laughs> I'm done. So, yeah. Quick story uh, for you. Yeah, what, yeah, we're definitely gonna play this game during the season. What 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 did he name his kid? Davion? I, I, <laughs> no, Barcavius. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, I hope not. I hope not. Uh, Good one, man. Good I one. I stole. Well, no, that was Dave's joke. You made a <laughs> yes. reference to that before. Yes. Um. Okay, so I do want to get into the Josh Allen contract situation here. Um, because it sounds like you guys have some thoughts here. So, real quick, oh. for listeners. Josh Allen signs a six-year, $258 million deal with $150 million guaranteed. That is $43 million per year for Josh Allen. Cleve uh, is dumbfounded and bewildered based on what I'm seeing on Zoom here. So, Cleve, go ahead. Your thoughts. So, I'm not a Cowboys fan. I'm not a Cowboy apologist. I am not even in that camp. But I, I, I found it really funny that um, guys are getting crowned. And, th- and again, Matt makes this point eloquently throughout the season, and he's been always on the soapbox about this, that the market is what the market is. It doesn't matter what we personally think of, of a guy. It is what, that's the going rate. That's the going rate. Dak, in comparison, have, have had a better overall run. Dak's been in the league, what, four years, five years now? This will be fifth year, I think, 2016. Fifth year. And of, and of his run, he's been to, they've been to the playoffs how many times? Nice, right? Once, I don't know. Yeah, I'm thinking twice. You could fact check me or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. what Josh? What did Josh Allen really do to deserve this money? And I'm not uh, shitting on his. I'm not shitting on his money. So please, please, fans out there, I'm not. I'm not bitter about. I'm. I'm just. I, I'm just like. I guess with this win now stuff, that guys are getting crowned, and we have not learned from these monster contracts, like the Wences, like the Goffs, like where, where, where do we curtail this stuff? So I think Josh Allen 
In most seasons, Josh Allen wins MVP last year. It took Aaron Rodgers throwing 50 touchdowns to to beat out Josh Allen for MVP. So Josh Allen is not only not only is he MVP, he has the Bills as the best team in that division, which is really saying something because that's the division the Patriots are in. So that's been forever. The Bills are projected to be the best team in that division this year and the year after and the year after and whatever, so long as he is there. But most importantly, when he was drafted, you know, it's similar to Trey Lance. You draft Josh Allen, you're like, well, if these things happen, we're looking at something really special. Those things are happening. He's not done yet. He's going to keep getting better. And by the time we're four years into this deal, $43 million could look like a bargain. Yes. He just sets up the next guy. Well, Cleve, I think what it ends up coming down to is in this league right now, you need a quarterback. So if you feel that the guy that you currently have is the guy you want to keep, and you have to remember, what are your options if you don't? And this is where the Cowboys kind of played around with Dak for a while. And to his benefit, to be honest with you, because he got probably would have gotten paid more or less two years ago because the market continues to rise. So there is something to be said about waiting to be, to get paid. This is why the whole Baker thing is interesting because it almost benefits Baker to wait to not sign something now because a year from now they re- look at the right look at the revenue streams, they look at the ad revenue and all that stuff, and these contracts continue to go up. The guaranteed money continues to go up. But the Bills had a choice to make. They're looking at what they have, and they either say, I don't want to pay him, what are my options? Or I'm going to pay him. And if you're going to pay, then you're going to have to pay at what the going rate is. Like, it doesn't work in the way that you say, well, is he better than Dak? It's who's next up. And the market is going to dictate that price. And it's not necessarily fair, quote unquote, right? Because at one point, Matt Stafford was the highest paid quarterback in the league. That didn't last long. It lasts until the next contract, right? And whoever is next up after Josh Allen is going to get paid. And I know the big thing is, well, in this contract, Josh Allen is going to make more money than Tom Brady has made in his whole career. Well, Tom Brady started playing at a time when the contract situations weren't what they were. He also did things that he didn't necessarily have to do. He took pay cuts in order to keep the team together, to keep the team good, right? These are things that he didn't have to do that he did. Now he's going out there and he's mercenarying the, the whole league. But it is just more a timing issue, and teams have a difficult choice to make. If they're going to move on from whoever they have, they have to have some set of a backup plan. And why would the Bills move on from Josh Allen when we saw what we had last year? To Dave, I, th- I think you're right. Like, I think if Aaron Rodgers didn't exist in the league, then perhaps Josh Allen loses to only Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's probably the only other outcome, maybe. But what are the Bills supposed to do? Like, I don't think he's worth this kind of money, but then they have to move on from him. And what's your next step? Starting completely over. And they just made it to an AFC title game. Well, I want to be, we- be there clearly here. <laughs> I think he's well worth that amount of money. Oh, I don't I don't like, disagree with you. I'm just saying like yeah. that, that I don't the, think the he's amount of money, money yet. but the the amount of money that gets paid is 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 commensurate of the timing of it. It's really the only thing, right? I mean, if, if you look at the price of almost anything, I mean, if anybody wants to buy Bitcoin now, they'd be like I'd rather have bought it when it was first, you know, first came out. Well, it doesn't work that way. So pony up 40k because that's you want to own a Bitcoin, that's what you need. Right, forty-five, and the next, forty-five k. Thank you. Right, but my, <laughs> but you understand the point, Dave. It's like, yeah, you know, of course, oh. of course. And so, the Browns are going to have to come up on the situation. It benefits Baker for, to wait as long as possible and get whatever the market value is at that time. Most likely, we'll have an episode where Cleve will say Baker's not worth that kind of money, and I think it's I'm actually a Baker guy. Day. I'm actually a Baker guy now, and I hope he gets paid. To be honest with you, because again, the situation that he was thrusted into when he got drafted, I didn't take it into account that he had all that going on and the guy still kind of 
made something of it. He turned a corner at some point. We're seven million dollars away from a guy making fifty million a year, bro. Mm-hmm. That's where yeah. we're headed for. That's where we're headed for quarterbacks right now. Yeah, fifty and you, and you, fucking million dollars a year. And you know, you know who's gonna get it? Who's gonna get that? Trevor Lawrence. Yes. Trevor Lawrence but, is gonna get fifty million dollars a year three years from now. Yeah, <laughs> fifty. Uh, 50 mil, bro. That's a what, what? And then what kind of guaranteed money is that? Mm-hmm. Probably Whoa. 175, 180. <laughs> Damn. This is, and this isn't like the draft situation where they looked at how much guaranteed money that people like Sam Bradford were getting thrown. So they, they revamped the system a little bit financially to make it less and less crazy for guys that hadn't done anything in the league. But now you're paying people who've done something in the league. So you're paying them for what they've done and what you hope they can do. And I'd like to think that the Bills look at Josh Allen and say he's improved every year. We were one win away from the Super Bowl last year. He's worth the money of what we think he's going to do. If he ends up not working out, then that's unfortunate because he obviously is showing that he's getting better and better. And they've put the pieces around him, a la Stefan Diggs, to actually be that good, to continue to ascend. Like if he's not going to ascend if they put the, the, the Lions roster around him. Right or, or or the Patriots roster from last year, which had no weapons. Like, would Josh Allen have made that team a 13-win team? Maybe. I don't think so. Right? There's nobody there. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at him for what he's going to do. And I do agree that I think that they feel that he is the the, the guy to do it with. And so if they want they want to pay him. Got to pay him the going rate. But the yeah. thing too is that that is actually cyclical because Josh Allen played great when Stephon Diggs showed up, but Diggs played better than he ever has once he got yeah. Josh Allen. Oh, it is. Right. But you understand it, the symbiotic relationship between Of them course. But, like, how much money does Kirk Cousins make? Josh Allen should make a lot more. Right. And he does now. It so goes like, to yeah. sh- Go ahead, Cleve. It goes to show you to both your points – because I, I just I just looked up, like, Jamarcus Russell's contract when, when it was when it was big. Uh, it was a six-year, $61 million, uh, $32 million guaranteed. That looks like dog shit compared to what these guys are getting on a guaranteed end right now. It allowed him to buy a lot of blank VHS tapes at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're, we're, we're giving you these blitz packages on Betamax. Please take a look and see, uh, see what they are. Um, got tapes. Yeah. That's insane. Um, I- so my question, my question for you guys is, Josh Allen's getting $43 million a year out of the 2018 draft class. Baker and Lamar Jackson are in the same draft class. Are they going to get more or less when they sign? Uh, and should they? Um, Matt, you want to take it first? I mean, I don't think there's any way that they get less unless there's something that's worked out between both sides in which the quote-unquote hometown discount applies here. Like, if you're the player and you you could you stand to make more money than Josh Allen has made, and the team has been successful. Like, if the Browns make it to the AFC title game this year and the Browns have to pay Baker, doesn't that, like, why would he take less? Unless, of mm-hmm. course, again, it's a mutual decision to bring in and keep other guys that are on the team to keep this team successful. I can understand that, but players nowadays don't want to do that, and nor necessarily should they, because it's a business. They have to, they have to look out for themselves as much as the teams have to look out for their own self-interest. And this is one thing when I said Tom Brady didn't have to do that, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. Tom Brady could have asked for the moon at the time, and he could have gotten it, but he didn't, and that's an outlier. Players should always look out for themselves, and if Baker is looking at it, he's like, hey, look, I'm just as good as that guy. Actually, I think I'm better than that guy, and you guys are nothing without me. You better pay me more than what he made. Just my opinion. Uh, Yeah, so I actually think that I think Lamar is going to set the bar again. I think Lamar is going to get 46. 
next year. I mean, I mean, yeah, we're, I mean, we're, 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 we're talking seven million dollars from fifty. You know, yeah, that's 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 where we're going. Now, yeah. Cleve, of course, Cleve, Cleve, of course, remembers when Al Al Kaline signed his contract for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I thought that was thought that was insane, six figures a year. You know, so of forty thousand guaranteed, right? <laughs> Well, oh, it, it's, it's actually a fascinating thing to think about when you look at the Hall of Fame class from this past week and you think about like Drew Pearson, for instance, and the amount of influence that he had on a really bad team and how little money he made comparative to what players today make, even players at the bottom of the league in terms of salary, right, that are never going to sniff that kind of jacket. And it's just amazing how much economics has changed just in the last 20 years, let alone the time in which free agency became legal, right? And that's... It's amazing to think about that because these guys that are fighting the NFL over injuries from the past, they got nothing to play. And they risked even more than guys are today because we didn't have the knowledge. We didn't even put the knowledge into place if we had it. And I, it's just interesting to think about. And I, it's, I know that everybody's like, I don't want to think about that stuff. And it's like, these are real humans playing a dangerous game, which is why the whole, I don't want to get the vaccine, but I'm willing to be hit in the head yeah. multiple times uh, during, during the year is a funny argument to me. I, I have to make a right to a wrong about the Calvin Johnson, uh, Tory Holt uh, comparison. So Dave, in Dave's argument for me going back to the episode to listen, I had to go back and roll tape. And Mr. Johnson, I apologize that you were the greatest thing I've ever seen in the Lions. <laughs> that was insane. And Dave, honestly, I honestly think that you guys should wipe the tab for this guy. Seriously, he shouldn't be owing this money to, to them. It's just at this point, they're they're billionaires. It's it's a million bucks or whatever it is they said that that he owes back. Um, to make him pay five hundred thousand in, in increments or whatever it is, and do community service to the team and all that all that bullshit. When the guy was lights out, the greatest shit that you guys had going. If anyone other than Barry should have had their had money, say you know what? Thank you for your services. Don't worry about it. we we got the check. It's this guy. Seriously. It, it really bothers me. And again, I start to see through you guys where the business side of this and not my emotions is what it is. It's business. I get it. It's a business. But again, for what that guy did for that team, and that I watched several highlights of this guy, and they didn't even do it justice in, in what I saw. So, Mr. Calvin Johnson, congratulations on your, your entry to the hall. And the Lions, pay the guy. Come, I mean, um, wipe the tab clean. Make it right with this guy. Seriously. So I'm currently in Livonia, Michigan, suburb of Detroit, and I could walk out on the street right now and just shout, who here likes the Lions ownership? And like, I would not get a response. It would just be like nobody. There is not a single person who would like agrees with Lions ownership in the situation with Calvin Johnson. I would I would rather fire the Lions owners into the sun than than like and then do anything to harm Calvin Johnson. Like Calvin Johnson is the, the person everybody here cares about. So this is definitely, it's not like it's a, a contentious situation amongst Detroit Lions fans about should Calvin Johnson be paid or whatever. Like we all love Calvin Johnson. The ownership of the Lions has always been terrible. Like I will say would just sell the team to, never mind. It would be Dan Gilbert. <laughs> so I don't want them to sell the team. Um, Cause that's not, that's not any better. Um, but yeah, nobody, nobody here is back in the Lions' ownership. Of course, they should pay Calvin Johnson. Um, and then it's crazy, and then, bro. And then go away forever. 
Okay, so the last topic I do want to get into here is the college football realignment. We don't talk about college ball a lot on the show, but I do want to talk about it here because this is people aren't quite understanding how big of a fundamental shift this is going to be for the for the college game and how it could possibly impact the NFL game. So the first thing is that I'm sure you guys saw that Texas and Oklahoma are going to join the SEC, which is great. So that gets them up to 16 to 16 teams. The Big 12 commissioner sent a cease and desist letter to ESPN, alleged a conspiracy to destroy the Big 12. <laughs> Which is really ironic if you know anything about the situation of how the Big 12 was saved in the first place. Exactly. But here's the thing, Cleve. The uh, Big 12 commissioner is probably right because ESP- ESPN is going to have to pay like $80 million per school, basically, to make this transition happen. But if the Big 12 ceases to exist, they don't have to pay it anymore. So the ESPN probably is actually out here trying to get the Big 12 to dissolve so they can save $160 million. Um, The SEC is now at 16 teams. And the thing is that they aren't stopping at 16. They're going to 20 or 24. This is going to happen. And so... Uh, this means a couple things. One, the Big 12 is now dead, with or without ESPN's help. The Big 12 is going to go away relatively soon, which means that the Big 10, the Pac-12, and the ACC are in the position of having – it's an arms race now. If the if the SEC goes to 20 teams and there's currently like 65 big teams, well, there can only be three 12-team conferences then, right? But currently there's five. So if the Big 12 is dead, the SEC is going to be around. There's two more spots, but three more conferences. So what's going to happen between the Big 10, the ACC, and the Pac-12? This is where it gets crazy. Here are some very legitimate situations that could happen that are going to sound insane. And this is what I mean when I say people aren't ready for what's going to happen. Um, The first thing is that what I think, what I would like to see happen, a very strong possibility, is that the Big 10 goes from 14 to 20 by adding Iowa State, Kansas, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Duke, and North Carolina. This gets them to 20 teams and makes them, without a doubt, the number one basketball conference. Because they have Kansas, Duke, and North Carolina. They already have Michigan, Michigan State, the Big Ten already. So they get number one in basketball, huge in football, and, you know, keep the high academic standards by and large. I mean, Iowa State, but, you know. Whatever you had Duke, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, you know you keep you keep that up right there. Um, you could also see the Big Ten and the Pac-12 emerge into one conference with an Eastern and Western division, mm-hmm. and just pull everything pull everything together. the The conference championship game becomes the Rose Bowl, right? Um, the other things that the ACC moves to admit Notre Dame, Penn State, Maryland, and Rutgers. Because remember, they have Syracuse, Boston College. They have that Northeast Corridor going already, as well as Virginia and Virginia Tech. So they continue to the DMV with Maryland, add Penn State, who really should be in the ACC anyways, and then add Notre Dame in. And that really limits what the Big Ten is able to do because they don't get Notre Dame. They lose Penn State because the ACC is the one in the weakest position here out of all three. So they got to try to do something. The last one. The last one, and this is where the SEC goes for the absolute kill shot to become the only college league that matters at all, is they go to 24 from the current 16. Remember, they just added Texas and Oklahoma. They add Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, North Carolina, Duke, Georgia Tech, and Clemson and go to 24. 
<laughs> that's so, insane. So, now, so the thing is, that sounds insane. One second, man. That sounds insane. But that is actually the most valuable combination they could possibly do. And that gets the absolute most money. And really, what other conference for college football would would matter at that's, that point? Yeah, because they would they would have the championship game in house. Yep. Technically, like no one they're playing. It's a it's a civil war within the conference. No one else is. No one's watching these other conferences at that point. They're watching else, elite elite football. Yeah, everybody else becomes a mid major. <laughs> so from the NFL point of view, if the SEC actually does pull this off and does this, all the best players are going there, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, now instead of having to watch a whole bunch of teams to see all these players, the vast majority of them are coming from these 24 teams in this one conference that are all playing each other. Now for NFL fans, college ball becomes a lot more palatable. That becomes a minor, like we, we always say, that's the minor league football farming system. That's pretty yep. much what that becomes. <laughs> yeah. So I was, because um, I've, I've been kind of hot on this for a little bit, but as you both know, I'm a huge Levitard and Friends fan. And John Skipper, who's the former uh, president of ESPN owns or is co-owner of the company in which they they created in order to continue their show, and they talked to him about this because he was the one who brokered the deal as you know president of ESPN for SEC Network ACC. That's why I mentioned it at the top of your point, Dave, about the Big Twelve and the cease and desist. And some of the intricacies are are fascinating to me because you've made a very valid point about the arms race as it relates to geography and not for rivalry purposes, but for revenue stream purposes. And for recruiting purposes because all of these conferences now are looking at what state can we add that we don't already have and it's making a pipeline in as many geographic areas as they possibly can make because to your point like they get revenue for every new state like when we're talking about like i i've been thinking 16 teams this whole time but i i understand that they could go for more but 16 teams in four conferences sets up 64 teams which does that you know set up for a basketball thing too and I, one of the inter interesting points that i found out from john skipper was that the teams that participate in the ncaa tournament are not beholden to do so by anything other than they voluntarily do so because obviously there's money to be made there so yep. if let's say let's say that it's not as crazy as you say and that there's four conferences 16 teams that adds up to interestingly enough 64 they can create their own ncaa tournament in just basketball and say we're good with whatever else happens you guys do your thing we're going to create our own thing. And now you have 64 teams in football. You have 64 teams in basketball. And it sets up beautifully for just so much money to be made on all fronts. Because I also understand, too, that like in every conference, I th think except for the ACC, the money split is 80-20 to football. I think in the ACC, it's 65-35 because they've obviously been a huge basketball conference forever. North Carolina, Duke, you name some of those schools. But I never considered them going over the number of 16 because – then that would only leave a minor few conferences left. And what would that do to viewership for, for college if it's just the SEC and everybody else? It almost becomes minor league. So there's implications to however this, this falls out. But the aspect of it that I really want people to understand is that it's the geography not related to rivalry and the fact that these schools, like Texas stands to make, Texas and Oklahoma stand to make $40 million more by just being in the SEC than they made in the Big 12. Like that's a mm -hmm. huge amount of money per year. That matters, yeah. That matters. Yeah, that's, plus, that's Josh. That's Josh Allen money. Correct. <laughs> plus, plus on the on the other side of it, from what I understand, ESPN I think 
uh, either wants to or purchased the rights to that CBS 330 game that happens on Saturday, and they mm -hmm. paid like $300 million for it. By comparison, the Big Ten Network or whatever costs like $300 million by itself. So yep. ESPN has millions of dollars. And the other side of the coin is ESPN is in the interesting position of covering this stuff and also trying to broker the deal. So they are in this weird juxtaposition of having a conflict of interest at every turn. And John Skipper talked about that. So anybody who wants to know a little bit more about how the other alignment took place 10 years ago or 11 years ago, I implore you to listen to that clip because I learned a lot and it helps you figure out why all of this is happening now, which I realize is just money, but it, it stands for a huge, huge shift in a way that I don't think we're going to know until it actually happens. And it's going to happen so quick, so quick. Exactly. And that's and that's the that's the most important point is that, you know, all these scenarios that I listed at first, they can't all happen. They contradict one another. But something like this is happening. So five years from now, there are going to be major college programs in conferences that seem unnatural, like the Boston College will be in the Pac-20. Like there's going to be something really, really strange that happens in the and the reason that they're not stopping at 16, the reason they're gonna keep going, we're gonna have like three conferences of 20 or 24, is that the money they need is for the NIL, the name, image, and likeness rights that the players now have. This is going to extend to television very soon. And when it does, that TV money is gonna start getting chopped up with the players, which is great and should happen. The people who are currently getting all the TV money they don't want their money to dip down. They don't want to split their current revenue with the players. They have to increase their revenue in order to give the extra to the players and keep the amount coming in they have coming in for themselves. That's why they're doing this. And that's why the SEC dominant uh, conference, because Matt, you mentioned March Madness in the tournament. If the SEC with Oklahoma and Texas adds Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, North Carolina, Duke, Georgia Tech, and Clemson, they could host the basketball tournament. They could just be like, it's the SEC year and invitational 64 teams, our top eight teams, 56 others that we pick, you come play. We leave the NCAA out of it. Like Duke, North Carolina, and Michigan in, is already going to be in it, right? And like, it, And it'll be brought to you by DraftKings. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. God's company. Exactly right. Um, I just want to, by the way, Dave, one more thing before before we move on to your point. But I, I shared this yep. with Cleve today about Nick Saban. So Nick Saban, in an interview on Mike Greenberg, was asked about two things. He was asked about the expanded playoff, and he was asked about the NIL stuff. And for everybody who is not aware, NIL, I believe, is name, image, likeness. Yep. Um, and this is the new ruling that came down about a month ago. So he said two things that were hysterical. First thing is... As it relates to expanding the playoff to 12 teams, he said, we are still about education and getting degrees for these kids. And I'm not really sure, you know, what we're at, we're adding a burden on for these kids, adding additional games, which is total horseshit. The second thing about the NIL is he's like, I'm a little worried that it's not going to be fair and equitable across the board as the ink is drying on his $11 million a year contract. <laughs> Nick Saban, <laughs> fuck you. I mean, oh, like, man. like so much be, there. To be such a total piece of shit to your employees, 
You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. As soon as we start thinking about the players as the employees of the coaches in the programs, those statements really come to light and what he's really saying about his employees, right? He's basically Jeff Bezos, like making the employees piss themselves because they can't take a uh, bathroom break or whatever. You know, we're worried about their educations. No, we're not, or else you wouldn't recruit them to go to Alabama instead of Michigan anyways. They major right? in football over there. That's the majors, right. football. Right. I mean, the point, too, like, if, if I have a kid who's looking to go play high-level college football and, like, trying to go pro, I'm not going to teach them to a school based on education. I want the schools to put them to the NFL, which is Alabama. Like, like, stop trying to undercut your own thing. Also, you just want the expanded playoffs because he doesn't need more money and he doesn't want increased competition. Having to win four games instead of two makes it harder for Alabama to win championships. And yep. He doesn't want it to be any harder for him. Right. Yep. But if but if you're any school besides Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson or Oklahoma, you want to expand the playoffs so you can try to get in there and try to, you know, take a swing and see what happens. I mean, the brazen selfishness of those oh, comments is yeah, just it's... unbelievable. I actually nearly spit out my coffee when he said we're about education. I was like, What? <laughs> like since when? <laughs> like nineteen sixty eight? The you know what's crazy? And I didn't think of it because Matt and I talked about this offline this morning. Is the fact that I think he's threatened. He's threatened that whatever like the brand is like his quarterback right now is worth a million bucks, and the guys yep. have hasn't played a snap yet, right? But these guys are coming in out with their own personal brands, and the brand ain't Alabama. The brand is whoever's paying me, EA Sports or whoever's paying me to do this. You know, I'm playing for that. I'm not playing for Alabama. I'm playing for for my for my stake in this thing. If I win a championship, great, because I get more money, but I, I've already secured my bag by whoever my sponsor is. If, I, if I'm a quarterback at Alabama, I'm hiring Cleve, and if Saban says like, hey, you didn't run the play right, excuse me, talk to my associate. Uh, I make way too much money. Uh, talk to my associate over there. He will let me know what the play is, and I will I will run that, thank you. Because you can't talk to these guys now because you're like, well, I'll, I'll pull your scholarship. That's fine, I'm still gonna get paid from I'll my sponsor. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm good here. I'm good, man. You know, that's crazy, bro. It, it's insane. It's insane. Uh, we, got about, we got about seven minutes left, so. Uh, I just want to say quickly that the um the quarterback for Alabama who's got the million dollars in endorsements, which he doesn't have yet, but that's brilliant from Saban to say that, like getting new quarterbacks <laughs> to come in. Uh, his yep. name is Bryce Young. He's from L.A. He's going to Alabama. He played like spot duty for Mac Jones last year a little bit. A kid's going to be a top 15 draft pick. Like, you can already see it. By the time he leaves Alabama, he'll have 10 million in endorsements. Like, just walking into the NFL. Right. And so, and so, what's interesting, though, from like the college recruiting angle is that the teams now do have their NIL pitches for kids. Michigan is actually in for the top defensive tackle in the country, who's from Tennessee, because Michigan's name, image, and likeness, you know, they're just starting to get into what they can do. But Michigan is Jordan branded, right? Like, what can Man. we do with Michael Jordan? You know what I mean? Um, Michigan has one of the – Michigan and Texas A&M have the two largest internet presences, whatever. Oh, you want TikTok followers? You want someone with that? You want to build your Instagram so you can do these sponsorships? Come to Michigan. You know, the Michigan blogs have a higher readership than any other school. We can partner with them. Get your stuff right out there. Get your get your content on their feeds. Like we have, we've just barely started to see how these kids are getting paid from this, but TV is going to be one of them very soon. And that's where we're going to have three 20 team conferences. I, I bet you the NCAA does something next year to cap this thing. They're going to they're gonna be like, you can't make 
over five million, right? The, can it, can it make the, five million or they can't? They can't. You know why? You know why they can't do that? Because that? Brett Cavett. Because Brett Kavanaugh told him to fuck off. <laughs> the, the Supreme he, Justice Brett, Brett yeah. Kavanaugh set the bar. He said you cannot give players Lamborghinis to go to your school. That's the bar that he set in the writing, <laughs> in the opinion, <laughs> right? Right. Wow. Like, like this Brett Kavanaugh, who is an elite piece of shit, still, <laughs> still came through. Even he was like, "You are exploiting." He was like, "the The way you are treating these young black people is terrible." Take up from <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh. That needs to change. <laughs> so no. I wish the NCAA would try to be like, oh, it could only be this much. You know how what, how quickly they'd be back in court? Like, you know what happened? They would blow the NCAA up. They'd be like, listen, we told you what the bar was. You still try to cap it. You don't, you're like the Trump Foundation. You don't get to exist anymore. Yeah. Right? My- <laughs> They're not capping nothing. My get out of this is that hopefully we get another NCAA game. That's my it's get, coming. dude. <laughs> that's so, my get, dude. <laughs> so that's coming. Schools right now are starting to create within the schools ways for all the players to join like like their own association so that the school can just go to ea but eventually like within two years either every school is going to have it or the players is going to have one and EA's. i'm telling you we're going to get ncaa football 24 straight up man we missed that we missed that bro any 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 good stories matt to take us out yeah, uh, did you guys catch the Olympics at all? Because I was kind of all over it for the most part, just because Here I love there, watching. I was jumping in and out. I love watching shit like uh, trampoline and stuff you'd never <laughs> actually seek out in your personal life. But uh, there was a lot of good stories that actually came out of it. First thing that that jumps to mind is so many uh, powerful Black women who were highlighted and did so well, and showing the world just how much power there is. You know, like we we spend so much time talking about race in this country and we we you know seem to forget that it doesn't matter like what you look like but even if you look different than say i do you still have so much that you can give to the world so i thought that was really cool but uh one of the stories that stuck out to me was the the two uh men's high jumpers uh they finished tied and the judges basically told them you have one of two options you can either have a jump off or you can share the gold medal and they together decided to share the gold medal it was the first time that ever happened and the total joy of the organic nature of that interaction was so cool. What wasn't cool afterwards was people coming on Twitter, mostly white people who were like, there has to be one winner, it's competition. And I'm like, when you get to the level that they have, which by the way, every Olympian that's in there is better at what they do than I will ever be, even at something as mundane as folding laundry. And yeah. like <laughs> the fact that they both finished tied, why sully it by having some jump off that doesn't mean anything in the first place they share this gold medal it's a moment they'll always remember and they're both winners at the top of their sport for their countries like what's better than that and i thought that was a really great moment there were so many that we could share i love the way that they queued up allison felix's family after she won her bronze medal like she has so many decorated you know she's she's the most decorated track athlete in history Uh, she has gold medals but this bronze medal was probably the most special because of everything she went through and i think cleve you brought up in the shikara richardson stuff nike did her so bad after she got pregnant which is every woman's right to do and she said you know what screw you guys i'm gonna make my own brand i'm gonna race in my own brand and i'm gonna win a bronze medal at 35 when i'm like 10 years older than most of the field and they queued up her family which was such a great moment there were some missteps along the way from nbc you know talking to 
athletes in a hot mic situation, which I thought was really bad, asking stupid questions, but they did a few things right. And I just thought there was a lot of positivity in the Olympics that were clouded with controversy for many reasons. Great stuff. Yeah, I did not I did not watch uh much Olympics because after the Simone Biles situation, which no shock to the listeners out there, fully back Simone and her decision to take care of her own mental health or the risk injury to impress a bunch of lazy slobs eating Cheetos on the couch. Um, like, I couldn't really get into it after that, but I was aware of the Alice and Felix thing, and I agree. That is just so fantastic that she yeah. won a bronze medal at 35 years old while giving a double middle finger to Nike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Nike's a brand that I wear. It's not like, but, but yeah. they're not, yeah. but they're not above uh, reproach. I think that's right. I think that's the way to put it. So I, I, I just thought that was great. And honestly, um, that's what to me. That's what the Olympics are about: are those little positive things. And unfortunately, we are in a place now where uh, we we need to find controversy in everything, and we need to like be against it. Like the fact, how could Simone Biles? She quit in her team. I was like, says the guy who barely even can get up and get his toast out of the toaster, and you're asking <laughs> her to go. You're asking her right, like you, you're such, you know. And it's like. How dare she not go up and flip in the air in a way that nobody else that I know can do and nearly kill herself? It's just <laughs> listen. The only th- the only thing I have to say about that is that the Confederate Army had the highest rate of desertion of any army in modern history. And there you go. And, but, and it's the same people now yelling about Simone Biles. So y'all are the quitters, and you lost, and Biles won. Shut up. Yeah. Great way to end was- the show, guys. Uh, we have less than a minute to go, so. I'm glad to be back. I thought I had a lot of fun. Uh, we took a lot of shots at people, but I think overall we were entertaining. So thanks to the listeners for for keeping us going and being patient. But the season is vastly approaching. We will be back on a weekly basis, I hope, uh, as yep. long as life allows. So, gentlemen, mm-hmm. appreciate your time. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you next time. See you. Peace. Political Football is exclusively owned by Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice and is brought to you by Matty Ice Media. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints of Matty Ice Media.